good to be here this evening. I hope you're glad you came in. If you forgot I was speaking and came in and saw that, you were disappointed. Thanks for staying. My wife tried to leave, but I texted her and asked her to please stay, so that was nice of her. If you were not able to go out of town for spring break, hopefully you get to have some fun time here if you're one of those. And some of you are thinking, what is spring break? I don't know. I guess it's something you have when you have kids in school and you try to make the most of it. I want to disappoint some more of you because a couple of the guys who helped me with media were not on this week. I'm not using media this evening, and I know many of the kids are going to be very disappointed by that. No one? All right, thank you. We're going to talk a little bit tonight about character. How many of that's your favorite topic? All right, some of you it's not. You're thinking, oh, my word, but what is the promise of character? We hear so much about character. You hear so many things, pros and cons, what you have to do, and some people make it seem very hard, and some wonder why you even have it, what does it even mean, what is the use of trying so hard to get it. So we're going to talk a little bit about it and find out what maybe the greatest promise of having character is. What does that look like? And we're also going to break down a chapter in the Bible that shows us some of the characteristics of those who have character. And we're going to see if that applies to you and it applies to me. And if we're truly in pursuit of character, what I think we're going to find tonight is inevitably the pursuit of character equals the pursuit of God. If we want to pursue good character, we are also deciding that we want to pursue God. And if we pursue poor character, we're really deceiving ourselves if we think we're truly pursuing God the same way. Because many times when I compromise my good character, I'm also compromising and I want to get close to God. So we're going to look at that tonight. We'll start with an illustration that happened two years ago, and it popped up today, and my kids were texting back and forth about it. Two years ago, we were on spring break, and we were in Utah, and we were getting ready to take a hike. How many of you have ever hiked the Angels Landing hike in Utah? Anybody? Someone? No? Wow. All right, so I can make up one guy. Scott, you've hiked that back there? All right, so I was going to say I can embellish as much as I want, but Scott will keep me honest. All right. But the Angels Landing hike. Now, the Angels Landing hike this week, we're going to get ready to do some hiking again this summer in another location, but I looked up, and right now, the scariest hike in the U.S. by, you know, again, several places I looked, was Angels Landing. Now, we didn't know it was going to be like that, and I'm glad we did it. But I thought, to make the experience really good, I don't like to fight crowds, I had this great idea. We're going to drive from our rental home to a bike place outside of the National Park, and the next morning before daybreak, we'll go there, we'll get our bikes, we'll get to Angel's Landing, because cars can't get in until after uh, day, day ri- uh, sunrise and daybreak, so I thought we'll beat the crowd. So how many people think that's a good idea? I do too. I thought it was a good idea. So we got up very early, um, but we had got to the bike place, and they were closed, but I was, my foresight is just very impressive, so if any of you want to clap during this for me, feel free. Uh, but we got there and had rented the bikes, and they had locked them up. They'd give us paddles. We had locked them up to the bike rack out front, so we unlocked the bikes. Now, I've got my kids regular bikes because they need to learn what it was really like for all of us older people, right? Now, my wife and I got e-bikes. How many people have ever ridden an e-bike? If you have not ridden an e-bike and you want to look good as you're driving and riding around a bike, get an e-bike. Um, it's pretty amazing. And the e-bikes have headlights on them, which 
I thought would be very helpful since it was still dark. And people think that's foresight right there as well. So we got on our e-bikes, and my kids got on the bikes. And I flipped the headlight on, and it didn't come on. But I thought, oh, it's because I'm not driving, so it'll power itself. Well, I started driving, and no headlight. And it was, it was very dark. And I thought, I'm still doing this. I got up this early in the morning, got here, we're going to do this. So it was me, and then a bunch of boys, and my wife. Now, we could have put my wife in front, but that would have lasted about two minutes until we all passed her. So I just started with her in the back. Now, keep in mind, I had the e-bike, and my kids whined about that the entire time. My son whined about that again in our family text, and I said, you're just mad your old dad was beating you. He's like, yeah, because you had a moped, so he was giving me a hard time. But we were riding, and it was so dark, I thought, what can I do? And it was fairly, not cold, but it was fairly chilly, especially when I'm going 80 miles an hour on my e-bike. Now I wasn't going that fast, but... So I thought, I, I have to see, because I can't see anything. So I took my phone out and turned the flashlight on. Of course, that's a very powerful beam. Um, so I'm driving the e-bike, and I have my phone in my hand with <laughs> the, the little light on, and I'm trying to see. And we got through the town, and then we entered the National Park. And we entered Zion National Park. I had no idea. So I'm looking at the sign to see exactly where we're going. The kids all stop. They finally catch up to me because I was just very impressive that day on my e-bike. But they catch up. I had no idea where my wife was. She was somewhere back there. Um, but we catch up, and I said, we're going to turn left and go down this road. So we start pedaling down this road. We're in this deep canyon surrounded by rock walls. I, I, it was beautiful on the way out. On the way in, it was just very dark. But we're driving, going up these hills, and that's where it was really fun to have an e-bike because I'm just cruising on the e-bike. <laughs> my kids are all standing up. So what I would do is I would drop back, and then I would just pedal by them. Let's go, guys. And I keep talking about that because that, that may have been the highlight of my trip. We're going up the mountains, and I'm still holding my phone, which actually was a help because it was so dark. And we're on a particular, particular dark stretch, and I saw some trees that were coming. And I think, I don't know if Joe, I think Joe was a little behind us, and Pete might have been with me. And that's maybe my son Dave, but we were getting ready to go through the trees again. I have no idea. My wife said at this point, she's probably about two miles back. Um, but I'm picking on you a little bit. Are you okay with that? She didn't answer, so I'll. My wife was right next to me during this entire time. But I'm holding my phone. My hand is numb because it is pretty cold, and I've been holding it up like this for probably 45 minutes or more. And we go down this dark path, similar to this, but about twice as wide as the center aisle, trees on both sides. It's dead silent. There is, you can't really see much. At this point, you could just see the tops of the stone kind of cliffs on either side. And right as we enter the trees, and we are going fairly fast on our bikes, hold my phone, there explodes the sound. Now, I would do it, but I would embarrass myself. It was a bunch of turkeys roosting in the trees. Now, I didn't even know turkeys nested or roosted in the trees at night, but I guess they do. And I never thought turkeys were particularly loud. But there was a lot of turkeys. It was dead silent. We're in a canyon. 
and it reverberated off the walls. I almost wrecked my bike. Of course, I would have wrecked my bike holding my phone because the worst thing that could happen is you break your phone at that time. But I, I managed to keep all of us upright. But it was really loud. It was really scary. And we made it through that treacherous situation. People are impressed right now. Okay. Now, I do remember that my wife caught up about this time and just started laughing at us. I do remember that. Now, it was an adventure. And we got to Angel's Landing. Very few people were there except some people who had camped out that night at the base. And we started walking up Angel's Landing. Now, it was a very steep hike. It was well worth doing if you're ever there. It was very steep, a lot of switchbacks at the beginning. And then we got to what we thought was the top. There was a little bit of a rock scramble. And my wife and I made up to that. We were pretty proud of ourselves. And then we realized it was a portion of the way at the hike. The rest, they had kind of a change rolled into the side of a cliff with a narrow ledge. And you had to walk about another maybe a half a mile along that to the next mountaintop. Now, it was pretty scary for all of us. Now, along the way, we saw some trees growing out of the side of these cliffs. Now, you would have thought they would have broken if you had touched them. But I tried to pull them. They were really in the rock. They had attached themselves to the rock. Now, some of them looked weathered. They wouldn't what you would consider beautiful trees. They were weathered. They had some gnarls on them. They grew at weird angles. You know, they came out and they went up. But they were very well-rooted and grounded in that rock. Now, the illustration there is some people, you wonder how they just continue to succeed in life. Sometimes you look at someone and think they're not the most skilled person, but they're so grounded. They just manage to make life work. They make their marriage work. They're just very devoted parents. They've been committed Christians for decades. How do they make that work? And sometimes it's not the pretty people. Sometimes it's not the most talented people. But it's the people that seem to be the most grounded. And they seem to just have a depth of character to them. Their roots go deep. As we hiked and held on to those chains and maneuvered our way all the way to the very top. We did make it to the end. And it was spectacular. And I would definitely recommend it. I'd like to do it again sometime. It was challenging, but it pushed us and we enjoyed it. I do remember one guy at the top was, he was a little older than I was. So he was ancient. Uh, but he was a little older than I was. And he kept talking about how he was in amazing shape and he hikes us all the time and no one could ever keep up with him. And he as we were taking pictures and kind of just enjoying the summit view, he left a little early. Well, as we got prepared to head back, my boy said, can we go ahead? Well, they're going to go ahead regardless, so it feels better when I get permission. So I said, sure, guys, go ahead. So they were much faster and went ahead. My wife and I worked our way back, and we had no idea how far ahead they were. They ran the whole way down. But (laughs) this guy who had just, again, trash talk about how amazing it was, shape it was, and just all the time. Part of the way down the trail, we came upon him, and he was all bloody and 
had obviously fallen, so we stopped, and some other people were there. We stopped, and you need help. And they had to, a guy on a bike had to pull a little gurney kind of up there, and they had to wheel him out. I guess that was their ambulance for what that is there. And as people were asking, man, what happened? He goes, well, I do this all the time, and no one's ever passed me. And then these young guys just were running, and I thought I could keep up with them. And so I tried to run, too, and then I just fell, and it was so steep, and he had gotten all bloody and banged up. So my wife and I just very quietly removed ourselves from that group and kept walking. <laughs> we got to the end, and I was like, man, my kids were like, where have you been? Like, well, we took our time and said, hey, you know that older guy? Yeah, man, we blew right by him. He was trying to keep up. <laughs> so the ambulance that came by, that, uh, yeah, yeah, that was for him. Oh, let's get out of here. All right, so. But character can help us with spiritual intimacy and emotional stamina. And there are going to be times of life that are amazing. There are going to be times of life that are challenging. Just like this Angel's Landing hike that we took two years ago was a very memorable event, but it was challenging. And it did push us. But when we got to the top, it was so worth it to look at the views and reflect. And sometimes in life, after you push through an extremely challenging time, there is something that says, you know what, I'm glad I pushed through that. There is a reward that comes with, the gratification that comes with, you know what, I worked hard for this. And sometimes it's okay to reflect and say, you know what, I made it through 10 years of marriage, and I'm committed to my spouse, and I've done my best to stay a devoted, faithful Christian. It's okay to take a moment, take in the view, and think, you know what, I've worked hard for this moment. Because the pursuit of character is equal to the pursuit of God. If you can, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 15. It just gives some parallels here. I'll, I'll read the five verses here, and then I'm going to give some thoughts about it. And as you're turning there, if you ever face a crisis, and you ever think, you know what, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Instead of saying that questions your face, it may be a sign that you're seeking the Lord and wondering, God, I want to help understand better so I can be better. You may go through a particular tough crisis and think, oh, man, I don't know if I can make it. But you turn to God in that moment. That is not a sign of weak character or not pursuing God. It could be the very indicator that you are seeking him and you want to reconcile and stay close to him. If you start praying during a tough time and it draws you back to God, you look at God and say, God, I'm so desiring a relationship with you. Then it could be the catalyst that draws you back to him. So in Psalm 15, I'll read these verses and I'll give you some parallels. Psalm 15, verse 1, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? God, who is going to be close to you? God, who is going to be drawn close? Who's going to dwell close to you? How do we know this? Is there a formula? Is there a recipe? Is there some indicators that know who is going to be close to God? Verse 2. He that walketh uprightly. Now let me again pause for a minute. Walking uprightly. Now, we've seen people as they age, sometimes they stoop. And also you've seen people that try to be devious or sneak around. If you've never seen that before, wait till you have kids. They become very good at that. And when you see them sneaking around, they get all hunched over. You ever done this before, playing hide-and-go-seek? Anybody but me? I'm the only one. All right, so you see that? You get kind of hunched over. You think you're getting quiet. Have you ever noticed that when you try to be really quiet, you tend to walk like this? 
do you really think that's making you quieter, or do you just look like an idiot at that moment? That's, that's where I've always learned. You can just walk like this, and you're just as quiet. But no, you always do this, and you pick your foot way up in the air. Now, as you get older, it gets a little closer to the ground because you're not quite as flexible. But you wonder why, why you do this that way. I find myself doing it. I stop. I hope no one saw that. Just Let me just walk normal. But when you walk uprightly, when you wear a particularly nice outfit or you feel really good about yourself, or ladies, you have that amazing hair day, you walk a little more uprightly. You ever done that? Your chin's kind of up. And you actually add a little bit of swagger to your step. You ever seen that before, too? You have more confidence. You're walking uprightly. Now, if you add character to your life and you're pursuing God for something, you're walking uprightly. If you said, say, that person's an upright individual, you're not talking about they're just standing up. You're describing not just a stature, but a character. So if those are pursuing God or dwelling his tabernacle in his holy hill, they're walking uprightly. They're meeting eye contact. They're feeling good about themselves. The self-esteem is a reputation you have with yourself. If your self-esteem is dinged right now and it's lowering, it's heading in the wrong direction, if you start to walk uprightly and you don't violate your conscience and you start making your actions match, the identity you want, you'll start walking uprightly. We undermine and sabotage our own self-confidence and our own self-esteem. You know when you look in the mirror, are my actions pleasing to me? Not just to God, to you. You know that. You know when you're violating your own conscience and knowing you're violating who would please the Lord, walking uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, and doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he that honoreth him that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. They're like those trees that I saw growing out of the side of a cliff that may have looked a little bit gnarled or different, but they were not going to be moved. You could hang on those things, and they were still there, even though it looked impossible. And sometimes you look at someone's life, and you think, man, that's impossible. Look at the heartache they just went through. Look at the tough time they just made it through. And when you see that, it challenges my faith. And you know what? It inspires me. So who are these people? Here's some of the thoughts that I wrote down. Who has the inside track with God? Who gets to live close to God? Who gets to dwell close to God? Who are truly those people who are pursuing God? Number one, their walk is blameless. This is a challenge. Their walk is blameless. What does that mean? It means they're above reproach. Have any of you, thank you for that vote of confidence over here, have any of you Ever justified your actions in your own head before you did something or after you did something? About a third of the crowd, the other two-thirds, you know what you are right now? Okay, at least you know what you are. You're liars. I think the most powerful and best salesman in the world is me talking myself into doing something I should not do or talking myself into buying something I know I don't really need. You ever done that before? Well, you earn it. You deserve it. You work hard. You're buying. I do work hard. 
And we talk ourselves into it. You're, to be above reproach, you don't justify your actions. You know they're right. You have pure motives. There's no hidden agenda. You don't have an ulterior motive. You're just treating people right because that's who you want to be. Their walk is blameless. And my guess is if this is not you, this is a challenge for us we need to embrace and say, I want to be more like that. But also, is there someone right now in your own walk, as you've seen them, you, you know what, that, that person over there, their walk is blameless. When you do that, they command your respect because we all want to be more like them. Next, they do what is right. Say, well, what's right? You know what's right. I know what's right. They do what is right. They just do it. They don't talk about it. They do it. They don't get up like I am and speak about it. That's easy. It's easy for me to teach you this. You know what's much harder? Implementing it in my own life. It's much more difficult. And I'm aspiring to do this just like I'm hoping to challenge you to do that. I want my walk to be blameless. I want to decide to do what is right. Next, what do they do? They tell the truth. They live in such a way that their walk is blameless, and they do what is right, and they tell the truth. And as they decide to tell the truth, this is uncompromising. This is, I'm going to be honest with myself. I'm going to be honest with my spouse. I'm going to be honest with my friends. I'm going to be honest with my coworkers. I'm not going to live a lie. I'm going to live the truth. And they decide to do this. And those people who are doing this are who are described in Psalm 15 as those that have the inside track with God, those that get to dwell at his holy hill and in his tabernacle. So why would we want to pursue character? Because that equals a pursuit of God. Next, they don't gossip. Now, if you're from down south, there is a way to get around gossip. Many of us have figured out. Number one, you say, can you please pray for someone? And then you tell every bit of word you want. And the other person, they go, oh, man, bless their heart. Have you ever been part of that conversation before? Some of you, as you make phone calls, you want so badly to gossip. I don't know why I do this. Like, no one ever does this anymore. Like, does anyone know what a phone that looks like this even is? When you do this anymore, you have that. But you don't gossip. It means you don't go around telling negative things about people that aren't there to someone who can't do anything about it. You don't gossip. If you want to be someone that's pursuing God, if you want to be someone in Psalm 15, that their walk is where God says, you know what, I recognize that, coming up and to dwell by me. Who are those people? They don't gossip either. They're not walking around finding the negatives and tearing someone down to make themselves look better. They're deciding, no, I want to build the other person up. Next, they don't mistreat people. What does that mean? They're kind. They're fair. They're just. Now, am I the only one that in this area, it can be very hard not to necessarily not do it, but to want to mistreat people? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one. Thank you. So none of you ever have ever wanted to mistreat someone as you've been driving this area. None of you have ever wanted to mistreat the engineer on a train when the train parks in front of you for 20 minutes, and then you go out of your way because you know the next one. You can see the train. It's not there. And then somewhere between there, the train pulls down and blocks that next intersection. Am I the only one? Okay, about three of you. All right. 
Or you go in to return something, and the person there is zero help as you try to return an item, and you try so hard to be kind and not mistreat someone, but it is so, so difficult to have to hold that back and be kind and just and right to them. But if I want to be someone that gets to dwell close to God and gets more Christ-like, that's my challenge. I can't mistreat people. You know what's even harder? Not mistreating the people you live with. What would your brothers or sisters say if I brought them up and asked if you have ever mistreated them? What would they say? What if I brought your spouse? Now, don't suggest to bring my wife up and ask that question, okay? We're talking about you right now, not me. What if I brought your spouse up tonight and said, have you ever been mistreated? Now, some of you are like, yeah, do it. That'd be awesome. Then we could start gossiping, and that would undermine two of our traits, so we don't want to do that. What about your coworkers? What about your roommates? You don't mistreat people, even those they live close to, even those who supposedly love you that have hurt you. Our goal is, if we want to be a person that can dwell close to God because we are like him, we don't mistreat people. Next, they side with those who are right, not just who they like the most. Isn't that hard? Isn't it easy to side with people you like? You know the number one way to change someone's mind is number one is to make them like you. But you know what's tough? Siding with those who are right, even when you don't like that person. Because when I'm not like and liking someone, I don't want them to be right. But God says, if you want to dwell close to me, here's some of the formula. Next, they keep their word. They don't make commitments flippantly. They make them carefully. When you commit to do something, you follow through. My wife is probably the only one to know who this is. And this person, some people may think they're successful um, as far as making money or doing that in their life. But I remember years ago, it was to my oldest son. They came over and they made a promise to my son what something they were going to do for them. So I took this person aside and I said, Look, if you don't intend to do it, don't promise it. It's fine if you don't, but don't promise it. Oh, no, I'm going to do it. He went back and reinforced that promise. We said he'd be back in a certain time frame. If you know what young kids are like, what do you think? I think it was two hours. What do you think my son was wanting to know in two hours? When did he come? If we'd have still been waiting to this day, we wouldn't have moved. He's never been back. Now, if you said his name to me and my wife right now, I wouldn't be angry. But do you think I think that person is a person of integrity and character? He didn't keep his word and commitment to a young boy who I warned him, please don't commit. Now, before I'm too harsh on him, have I ever done that? I hope not. But there is that possibility. You promise people things flippantly just to make yourself look better or to get out of an awkward moment. 
you need to weigh your commitments carefully. You're not the person who just cancels at the last minute. You're not the person who makes the world revolve around you and your schedule. You weigh it out carefully and say, no, I'll commit to do this for you. I'll commit to be here. And then you do it. These are the ingredients that it gives in Psalms 15. These are not mine. They're in Psalm 15. Next. The next two are very interesting to me. I actually asked my wife, if we were coming to tonight, I said, do you know, why do you think this is in there? Why is this part of the formula for pursuing character and having that strong depth of character? And she wasn't sure either. And usually she knows the Bible better than I do. That's why I ask her um, for that answer. But number one, or not number one, but of these last two, they lend money to those in need without interest. Isn't that interesting? I'm not telling you you can never charge interest, but when someone's in need, they lend money in need without interest. They just do it to help that person. It's not my list. Some of you are looking at me like, okay, it's not my list. It's like Psalmist of David. I'm guessing that was inspired by God writing the list. So look up and go, do that. That would be much better than looking at me. When someone's in need, you do what you can to help. If you have the resources to help, you can lend money in need and not charge interest. We'll lose to the next one. They don't take advantage of people or situations in certain situations for financial gain. They don't see someone who, you know what, I can make a buck off that one and then take advantage of that person in that situation for their own financial gain. When someone's in need, they say, you know what, let me just help that person and not make profit off of it. Second, they don't ever see someone in a need and say, you know what, I want to leverage that for my personal financial gain. Am I chastising you if you do that? No, I'm just telling you in Psalm 15 it says if you want to dwell close to God and be like him, and God said, hey, come on up. This is one of the requirements that's mentioned in Psalm 15 as the formula to have the character. This is a form of those who have the inside track with God. And I didn't get to make the list. And to be honest with you, I'm still working to make sure I dot every I and cross every time this list. This is a challenging list. How many people would agree this is a challenging list to live? But this is our goal. This is aspirational. Because so is becoming Christ-like. It's aspirational. It's working towards that goal. You know, three elements that are present in every healthy relationship are trust, respect, and communication. Do we have that with God? Do you trust God? Do you have respect for God? Do you communicate with God? If you don't have these three ingredients, your relationships will suffer. And this is if it's a, it's a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend, a brother, sister, any of them. You have to have these three ingredients. Right now, evaluate your spiritual relationship. Do I have respect, trust, communication? Present, my relationship with God. If our relationship with God is mainly what we can get from him, what does that really say about a relationship, the desire to be close to him? If every time you do a spiritual act and you say, okay, God, now you owe me. And you say, I'm not that. Okay, we're, we're more discreet. But we think there's a formula, like an ATM or a vending machine, where if we do certain things and put certain pin number in or certain money in and we type a certain code, God's supposed to give us back what we want from it. Is that really pursuing God? Or is that pursuing what you want? 
Is God supposed to be at our beck and call? Or are we supposed to trust him? Do we really trust God? Do I really trust God? Am I pushing some buttons saying, okay, God, give it up? You know the old school vending machines? I don't even know if they have them anymore. You know the ones that, the little spiral and something would drop down the bottom. Remember, I remember those right there. I'm really dating myself tonight. Some of your kids are like, how old are you? All right, I'm not that old. Now, let's be honest. Let's ask even a more revealing question. And this is, goes, does not ever count anymore because these machines are real. How many ever have put money in, pushed a certain thing, and the thing started to spin, and then it caught at the tab at the last minute, and things just hanging right at the end? And you got frustrated and shook that machine until it fell. Anybody? That's like everyone. That's the most participation I've had in anything. All right, so if we're going to talk snacks, we'll get into it. How many have ever done that and then two came out and you're like, score? Anybody? I think the spirit is moving right now because this is the most excited I've seen many of you for years. But we're never really going to truly know God if we treat him like a vending machine. If you really think you can push a few buttons, do a few acts of service, say I'm going to do this, read your Bible for a little bit, or go make everyone see your appearance at church, or maybe serve in a certain way, and you think, you know what, God, now you're at my beck and call, and you have to do what I want, because hey, God, look what I did for you. That's not really pursuing God. That's adding or pushing a button and throwing something in a menu and saying, God, this is what I ordered. And as much as I wish it were that way, and frankly I do, it's not how it works. We are supposed to pursue God. Think, you know what, God? It's a pleasure to work with you. We're supposed to follow what is mentioned in Psalm 15 so we become better. The purpose of following God is so that I change, not so that he meets my wants. Because as I start to pursue God and I start to follow these spiritual disciplines that God asked me to have and I find my own character changing, I find I'm the one changing the most. What are some of the two reasons? I'll give two quick illustrations. I'm not going to read in Matthew 13, verse 11. You do not need to turn there if you're fast. Go ahead. He's speaking to the apostles. He said, he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Sometimes though, to those that are really pursuing God, you know what happens? You get a better spiritual understanding. God can open your eyes and your heart to other spiritual truths or other spiritual things that enlighten you and you help to see better and you get better discretion. Have you ever talked to someone that just seems to know the Bible better than you and you think, man, that's, that's cool? A couple weeks ago, I was just crossed paths with a man from India. And I mentioned this in Sunday school meeting, but it was just so refreshing. And we were talking actually about integrity. And we were talking about integrity. I was trying to weave some spirituality into it. I said, do you mind if I just tell you a Bible story that I think illustrates integrity and went through the whole story of Daniel and the lion's den? I'm not going to go with it, into it. But I know I stopped right when Daniel was put into the lion's den and said, they wait until the morning to remove the stone. And then I pivoted and tried to teach something about integrity. And the guy said, stop, 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 stop. He goes, what happened to him? He was so excited to hear what happened. And it's so enjoyable to teach that to him. But it kind of convicted me, too, because when's the last time I got that excited? When's the last time I was pursuing the truth of God? Like an unsaved man from India was. When's the last time I got passionate about it? 
if I truly did, you know, some of the mysteries of the Bible, as the apostles are asking God, can you help us understand? He goes, you know what? I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you because you're close to me. Do you want to be close to God and get some of the perks that come with it? Jeremiah 29, 13, it's the last verse I want to use. It says, and you sh ye shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. I'm just going to mention, some of us tonight have gone through dry periods of our lives. When you feel you're abandoned by God, you can't feel his presence. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my guess is if I ask any of you, how many of you have ever had a period or a time in your life when you just weren't sure if God even knew you are alive? You couldn't feel his presence, and you were trying. But you will find him. And it said if you seek him, you'll find him. If you seek with all your heart. Now, we don't know the timing, but seek with all your heart. This is the desire. This is more than a haphazard journey through life. Eh, I hope God shows himself. This is more than that. This is that passionate, oh, God, I want to make sure, because you really want to find him. This is when you've lost your phone and you want to search for your phone. You ever done that before? Where's my phone? Get in there. Dad, it's not in here. Go look again. Right? You're ripping the couch apart. You're crawling underneath everywhere. You're digging your hands. This is another pet peeve. They make the cars where every time you shove your hand really far down between the driver's seat and that you pull it up, you slice your hand somewhere on some piece of plastic. Have you ever noticed that before? There is some maniacal designer somewhere that says, we're going to put a sharp piece of plastic. Yeah, let them lose their phone. On the way up, shh, every time. So now I try to get smart, but you don't want to wait until you park and then get out and go around the back seat. That takes way too long, and it makes way too much common sense. It's much better to reach down and slice your hand again and again and again. Can you tell I've dropped my phone a couple times? You know what? I'm going to find it. Because it's important to me. I'm going to keep seeking. And if I can't find the first place, you know what I'm going to do? Go to the second, and then the third, because it's a big deal to me. You know, a few years back, I fell on vacation. On an early morning walk, my wife likes to get up and go for, uh, in this case, a sunset run on the beach. And yes, I have no idea why either. So you're kind of thinking, who does that? Okay, she does. But... I got up early to support her, and then I went back to bed. No, I didn't. I got up early with her, and we went down by the ocean. And I was walking. It was a beautiful morning, beautiful morning. I was just walking, and waves were coming in. And it seemed so peaceful and so still. And I walked for a long way. She was running, so she was even further ahead. But I remember just walking and enjoying the weather feeling like it was one of those so calm days. I couldn't feel the wind at all, which was unusual right there at the ocean. I saw the, the waves coming in. But I remember I got to a certain point thinking I should head back. And I turned to head back, and as I started to walk this way, a few moments I realized I could feel the wind. You know how you hear the whistling kind of by your ears as you're walking into the wind? I said, I didn't feel the wind. I just was walking for several miles this way. I didn't feel it. But as soon as I turned the other way, I felt the wind against my face. And I felt it kind of whistling by my ears. And I was so puzzled. I thought, I guess the wind has been here the whole time. 
But for some reason, I didn't notice it until I turned this direction. So my mind is trying to piece it together. And then spiritually speaking, it came to mind. Sometimes in life, we're just going a certain direction. And we think God is like this. And everything seems like we're totally alone. We're isolated. And God has forgotten about us. And he's departed from us. But just like when I turned, the wind had never left. The wind was there all the time. I just was unaware of it because of the direction I was heading. But as soon as I turned and headed towards the wind, I could feel it. And I was aware of it. I want to encourage all of you tonight, if you've ever felt you've lost contact with God and you're wondering, where is God? And you're seeking God and you want to be a person of character and you're truly saying a passion about finding God, he is there. He hasn't left you. And you may just need to turn towards him. And you'll start start feeling, you know what, there is the presence. And I'm starting to feel it. And you'll feel the gentleness wash across your face. And you'll see the evidences of God in your life and your heart. And you'll feel encouraged and stimulated. But all you have to do is turn towards him. Seek him with your whole heart. If you will, you, if you do, you will find him. And if any of you feel like I'm empty, I'm lost, I'm trying so hard. Man, you gave this list from Psalm 15, and man, I'm trying. I'm not saying you're walking the wrong direction, even, but man, just turn and face God in whatever direction you're saying. Say, God, I need to feel your presence and really be open and say, God, I'm seeking you with my whole heart. I'm seeking you. Claim Jeremiah 20 and 13. Get in front and say, God, this is it. Open to Matthew 13 and 11 and say, God, I want to understand your word just like you said to the apostle. I want to be one of those. Open it to Psalm 15 and read that. Say, God, I want to implement those into my life. And as you do that, what are you doing? You're turning towards God. And you're going to be aware of his presence. You'll feel it because he's been there all the time. So maybe the greatest promise of character is his presence. Because when you pursue the list in Psalm 15, when you get there, and you've arrived, and you look around, you know who else lives there? God does. You look around and say, what was the point? I sacrificed. God's there. Maybe the greatest reward for pursuing character for making it through the Christian life, for making sure you live a moral, upright life, for making it sure that you are a person of integrity and you're blameless, you're above reproach, you don't gossip, you treat people right, you do all those things that are so hard for our flesh to do. The greatest promise there is when you get to the end or you on your way, you feel God's presence that is so motivating when you get there. Who else dwells there? The Lord does. Don't we live close to the Lord? Isn't that why you're here tonight? You're here tonight on Wednesday night. Many people are for spring break. You're here. You know why? Because I think you're pursuing God. Because you want to be better people. So just turn and say, God, I'm seeking you with my whole life.